Welcome back to the Noobsboro Podcast. If you're new here for the first time, welcome aboard. This is the Noobsboro Podcast where we interview spearfishing experts, authorities and characters from around the world and froth on, froth on definitely. Wherever you're listening from, there is actionable information that you can apply to your spearfishing and even if you're having a dry spell, keep your froth on with the Noobsphere podcast. Thanks everyone for your support for episode 200. It was a huge, huge effort um, and some awesome feedback coming through socials and emails. I really appreciate all the voice messages from guests uh, from the past as well as patrons and just frothing listeners to the show. Um, it was a huge success. I, I did miss a couple of key voice messages. Ian Puckridge gave me a call and I recorded that, uh, lost the files. <laughs> uh, but Paco says hello, uh, had some awesome stories with his son Aaron um, and I lost them, which is Sorry, very Shrek-esque. And Cameron Kirkconnell, I gave him a bell as well, but he was just arriving back from a big trip, so I didn't really get much of a catch-up with him, but hopefully we can do that in the next 100 or 200 episodes. But I hope you're enjoying it. A um, couple of quick shout-outs. Well, actually, just one major one. There is a huge event happening in New South Wales. It's the Kingfish Cup, which is going to be held on the 12th and 13th of November. But there's a massive info night uh, you really want to flag on your calendars. It's the 3rd of November, which is a Thursday, from 5.30 in Sydney. Guys, um, definitely mark this one out in your, ca- in your calendars. The Kingfish Cup info night, 3rd of November in Sydney. It'll be a Thursday night from 5.30. Mark that out. Hold that spot in your calendars. Kingfish Cup is a huge event, and it's a really well-run comp down there in Sydney. Simon Tripp will be uh, steering the reins, so you're in good hands. Hey, let's get into today's episode. He's a cool dude. I, I didn't even tell you about him. He's an absolute gentleman, super down-to-earth, very cool Awesome YouTube channel, um, Key West Waterman, if you're not subscribed. Um, Captain Aaron West, aka Dibs on Bottom Adventures on Instagram. This dude's cool. I had an absolute blast chat with him. Here we go. Captain Aaron Young, let's kick 201 in the guts with a big hurrah. Here we go. Adreno.com.au, the home of recipes, blogs, videos, equipment reviews, and an obnoxiously large range of spearfishing equipment for frothers like you. Not only that, but spearfishing trips and courses, courses and trips that I sometimes get to go on. Check them out at adreno.com.au. It's a Spiro's best friend. Check them out, and if you want to buy gear, pump in the code NoobSpiro to save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can use that online, in-store. Use the code NoobSpiro, save some cash, and support the NoobSpiro podcast. Shop with adreno.com.au. Neptonics.com source the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Jerry says, if we sell it, we believe in it, we trust it, and dive it. Neptonics is the one-stop shop for all your spearfishing essentials. Neptonics is solid gear that works, and you'll know it's true when you pull the trigger on a Neptonics mech. On every snap of a Neptonics power band and in every whiz of a Neptonics spear gun reel, singing with the power of another big fish. Buy gear you can depend on at neptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10%. All right, guys. G'day. Welcome back to the News Show Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Key West Waterman, <laughs> Captain Aaron Young. Uh, that's my, my, my best American accent. Sorry, Aaron. <laughs> that sounded all right. <laughs> Man, um, I've, I've been, uh, as I sort of discussed with you before the podcast, I've been um, geeking out on your YouTube channel. Mostly over the last 48 hours because I was just a late bloomer, so to speak. 
But uh, you come very highly regarded in terms of like the Noobsboro community voted you in their top in the top twenty, um, and I was quite surprised how, how highly you ranked. Given that you know probably on Facebook particularly maybe the maybe the community is probably like sixty or seventy percent Australian. So you did really well, and uh, I can see why, man. Your channel's cool. I love to hear that. That's uh, kind of a surprise to me, as I'm pretty low key and we're kind of out here in the middle of nowhere. But I think it's pretty yeah. cool to, to yeah. hear that it's reaching that far. Yeah. For people that aren't familiar with the Florida Keys and sort of that whole um, interesting bit of geography there, um, just fill people in on sort of where you're located so that people have an idea of, of what it's like. So we are technically the southernmost point of the continental U.S. The Florida Keys kind of extend off the end of Florida. Um, Key West is, I live about 10 minutes north of that, but Key West, where my boat is out of, where we do all of our diving is the southernmost tip of the United States. Continental, obviously not Hawaii. Yeah. But yeah, we're kind of, we're literally an island you can access by bridges, but we're technically 120 miles out in the ocean, which is pretty wild. Yeah, love it. And man, you live in the middle of some mangroves and um, it looks just like fantastic country, but I'm imagining the midges and sandflies would be horrendous at times. <laughs> so they're not, they're not as bad as you'd think. The, the, uh, the local, uh, whoever government people handle the mosquitoes pretty well. The uh, no what'd you call them? We call them no see ems. Uh, midges. The midges. Midges. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They. What do you call them? No see ems. No see ems. Yeah. Cause you can't, they're so small, you can't see them. They just bite the crap out of you. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. They're, uh, they're, they're real bad at sunrise and sunset. But other than that, in the wintertime, they don't really bother you. In the summer, they, uh, they will pick you up and eat you alive. Yeah. Right. Man, um, some of the water around you is just pristine. Like, and those mangrove systems, they serve as a massive, like, um, nursery for s s the broader oceans around you, I'd imagine. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that, that comes and, and starts there. And uh, is exactly what you said. It's a nursery. It's a, a, a safe place for the most part for all those juvenile creatures to kind of just get established. It's safe. They're a great filtration system. I mean, not, you know, to get deeper into it. They, they're pretty much like a barrier reef. Um, but in vegetation form, uh, they're just, they're incredible and they, they're an incredible habitat all around. Yeah, man. And you capture that so well in your YouTube channel as a Key West waterman. If people are curious, I would encourage you to hundred percent go and follow this man. Like just some phenomenal videos. I was watching one this morning. It was like 40 minutes long. I watched the whole thing, which is unusual for me. And I uh, just enjoyed <laughs> every minute of it, man. Um, I had a quick bio. I, I don't normally read out guest bios, but I found the one written about you on Alchemy, um, who sponsor you, I believe, to be yeah. really good. They said, born and raised in the waters of Central Florida, Aaron has had a lifetime of experience in and on the water. He started spearing at a very young age out of Port Canaveral with his father. His passion for modern-day freediving began in the murky waters of the Indian River. Aaron built a spear gun, a 36-inch true mid-handle to target sheep's head and mangrove snapper. And this is the part of the story I really like, Aaron. In 2013, you were laid off from your full-time job and you decided to sell everything you owned, move to the Florida Keys and a, a place where you regularly visited as a kid and pursue your passion. And it sounds like that's exactly what you've done, man. Um, you've set up your, an enviable lifestyle sort of balance between a bit of commercial spearfishing, running charters, and this massive YouTube channel now that's really, I'd imagine, starting to generate some some decent um, earnings for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to be honest, I wish I could say I had this grand scheme and knew exactly what I was doing, but for the most part, I just said, fuck it, threw caution to the wind and <laughs> sold, sold everything and drove down with my dog and a little 16-foot ginu and 
uh, the rest is kind of history and everything on the, along the way kind of happened on accident. And, uh, I think most importantly, I, I really loved what I was doing the entire time. So it never really felt like work and there was a lot of painful moments, but looking back, it was, the whole thing was just absolutely awesome. Yeah. Wicked. And so like, yeah, the road to, um, pursuing your passion is always paved with hard work and blood, sweat and tears and there's always obstacles and setbacks. Um, did you go straight into commercial spearfishing or running a charter? How did that sort of all eventuate? Uh, so when I first got down here, I just wanted to be in the water. I said, I'm going to take my, the, when I got laid off, they gave me a severance. It was like $8,000 or something. It wasn't a lot of money. But I said, I'm going to take three months off. I'm going to spear until I cannot spear anymore. And I did for three months. I was on the water probably every single day. The wind wasn't blowing. And eventually I had to get a job. Um, I ended up doing some snorkel tours for a short time. Didn't like it. I was hopping on and off of commercial boats um, on other people, other commercial boats and just kind of spearing for them and kind of made a name that way a little bit. Uh, No one really knew who I was. And I remember the first time I went out, I can't remember the guy's name. We were out for about seven hours and there was four of us. We had 16 black groupers in the boat and I had shot 11 of them out of four people. And uh, so that kind of people were like, Hey, who's this guy? And uh, it just kind of came naturally. I just absolutely loved being in the water and spearfishing in general. So I was consumed by it. And that three months, I kind of figured everything out fairly quickly. And um, it just kind of unfolded that way. It was. Some, sometimes with Spiros, like, we don't really have commercial spearfishing here, and so the perception of it is is quite different. Um, however, I'd say guys that are able to take a lot of biomass, there are they they do exist here as well, um, and some of those guys just do it for enjoyment. It's almost like they just enjoy just killing a lot of stuff, but it, they seem to burn out quite quickly as well because I don't think it's maybe that. I don't know. It can't be – if you're doing it for a living to feed your family, I can 100% understand it. But, like, it must take a bit of a, a toll on you, I guess. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of actually going through that right now. Uh, when I first started out, I, I kind of relied on commercial because the, the charter side of things was really uh, scarce. Like, I was really scrounging for trips. I mean, I remember days where I'd go drive my sign down the, the main strip just trying to get people to come out and fish and die with me. Um And as that picked up, I kind of got away from commercial fishing because you spend so much time out there and it sounds weird, but I create this relationship with each individual spot. Like I, I recognize fish and eels and all this stuff. And you see, you see all these fish and you just, after a certain point, you realize how much you are taking and it just, it kind of, it loses its lust a little, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Slowly, I start. I'm I'm starting to burn out on that, and uh, I like charters more because charters. If I have four grouper in the boat, my clients are stoked. Commercially, I need fifteen or twenty to to yeah. make that same amount of money, and it. I just I'm. It's kind of it's kind of on its way out for me, to be honest with you. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, Florida seems like an amazing area. I'm guessing the keys. Is, oh, it's a little bit different to to Florida to mainland Florida, but you guys do seem to have such a rich. Um, quite well-managed fishery off there, and that's what allows people to do what they do and take such a, a large amount of biomass. Would that would that be a fair statement? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think there's exceptions to it. I think there are some things where they, uh, they're a little blind as to what's going on because the studies they do are by 
scientists for three days and they don't talk to the fishermen who spend 200 days a year in the water. But for the most part, they do a pretty good job. Um, and there are a lot of fish here. Like there's a lot of fish to be had and it's, it's a wonderful thing. Man, your charter is massive as well. I want to hear about this nickname of yours, Dibs, because you're, uh, you're Dibs on bottom on Instagram and it's, it's a bit of a nickname of yours. How did you pick up this handle? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, to be honest with you, I can't even remember where dibs came from. People started calling me dibs years and years ago. And then I made the Instagram name kind of as a, like a, a joke or a play on words. I was like, well, I always, I dive a lot. And when I moved to the keys, they started making a joke is when we couldn't catch anything, I'd jump in the water. So I had, I jump in the water and shoot whatever it was we couldn't catch. So they'd be like, Oh, you've got dibs on bottom. And then when I started the charter, everyone was like, Listen, if you don't name the charter dibs on bottom, we will not support you. So you have to. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome to hear it's it's a success. I mean, obviously, like a lot of people were giving rave reviews. I had a, a couple of a, a quick reads. Uh, one guy, uh, Deva Harlow, says, I've been out with Captain Aaron twice now and have a third trip booked. Both trips I mentioned are fish species I'd never caught and that I'd like to hunt them. And, you, and he says, both trips, he put me on those fish effortlessly. He puts in the work and will burn a tank of gas to get, get you what you want. With reviews like that, man, like um, you're going to get people coming back, talking about you, um, wanting to do it again. So um, how do people sort of find out more about your charter, what you're offering and, you know, um, and maybe book? Um, well, the best way is to go on the website, um, dipsonbottom.com, and it's got a, a decent amount of information on there. Most people reach out to me because with spearfishing, there's a lot of specific questions you want to have. And I have no problem getting with back on people of that. And quite frankly, the YouTube is a good resource because I'm showing exactly what it is that we're going out and doing. Now, is every day going to be a banger? Are we shooting all these fish on like on the YouTube videos? No, but we give it hell every single day. And um, like that guy said, I'll burn a tank of gas to find fish. I treat my clients like they're my friends. I would, I would do anything to put them on fish. As a charter captain, we don't enjoy bad days. We don't want to have bad days. So uh, I, I just do my best to go the extra mile. Jeremy Gamble from Spearing Magazine um, recommended you to me back in the day and I've been meaning to get you on the podcast for a while because a few people have asked for you and um, a part of it comes out of this reputation for, for what you're doing as a charter boat. Uh, where do you leave from? Do you leave from Key West there? What What is the vessel um, sort of day to day? Like um, what days are you operating and, and so on? So I'm actually out of Stock Island. First off, thanks Jeremy. He's a, he's a great individual. I've spent a lot of time with him. Jeremy's a very good friend of mine. He's uh, been an excellent human being throughout my career. Um, anyways, uh, I'm out of what's called Stock Island. So it's like kind of Key West's little sister island. It's the closest island to Key West. Um, I run a 27-foot contender, well, technically 30-foot contender, um, center console, uh, twin Mercury 200s. Um, it gets us where we need to go. Have you got a duck board on the back? Uh, is that what's given it the extra three foot? Yeah, yeah, it's got that little platform on it. Man, those contender boats are wicked. There's a couple of them getting around over here in Australia. Um, very well made and very well regarded boats. Yeah, I'm very happy with mine. It's actually a 2004, but it's it's tried and true. That thing is still steaming along. Yeah, nice. So, how big? How many people are you taking out at a time? Um, what, what's the day look like? I normally do a max of four. Um, I actually just recently, it was August 1st. I'm only offer, offering spearfishing trips now. Um, just with kind of all the exposure and stuff like that. I quite frankly, I want to focus on one thing and be really, really good at it. I've been fishing longer than I've actually been spearfishing, but 
frankly, I enjoy being in the water a little more and I feel like I'm a little more effective at it down here, especially with the water being so clear. It's if I'm fishing, looking at the bottom in 70, it's absolute torture. <laughs> yeah. I can hundred percent relate to that. Yeah. My, my, most, uh, many sparrows are just terrible line fishermen as well. Like, I don't know. I, I always lack the, the confidence and the sort of the strategic ability to, you know, out, you know, like really sort of outwit the fish and put a plan together and stuff like that. Like a lot of thought goes into it. Line fishermen are very good at what they do. Um, I always just wanted to get in. I'm more tactile, I think, rather than, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the draw of spearfishing is it's, it's hands-on and primitive and it's, it's a very intense personal experience. Um, I tell people it's the closest thing to, you know, hunting underwater. It, it's literally is what it is. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it scratches an itch uh, that fishing just doesn't do for most people. Man, I like some of your backdoor spearfishing. Like you and me were chatting before. I really like some of the mangrove stuff. Like just the the day, you know, you, you guys call them, uh, uh, there's, you got mangrove snapper and red snapper. And I'm, I'm quite, I'm actually a little bit unsure about, what the different distinction is between them and Kubera. Um, can you just give us a quick overview? Of- so the, the red, the red snappers get a lot bit. The Kuberas get the biggest of all, but it's funny because the Kuberas will, will be kind of spawn and grow up in the mangroves and you'll see 10, 15, 20 pound uh, Kuberas wow. in three, four feet of water in the mangroves. Red snappers never venture that far in. Um, and then our mangrove snappers obviously are, named a mangrove snapper because that's where they grow up that's where they spend most of their life before they head out to the reef uh some of them some of them end up staying but and they're all lejana day aren't they they're all sort of related yeah yeah absolutely i mean they're all they're all in that snapper family they all that's one of the things it's, it's funny is most people that come down and aren't familiar i get a lot of beginner trips um they cannot differentiate them from apart which to, it's funny to me because they all look so very different because i've spent so much time but uh they can never tell them apart do you suggest to people that they watch like for me like when I moved to Queensland because I was from New Zealand so you get in the water here and you've got this mix of temperate water species and 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 tropical species and so there's like literally I think there's more than 200 species we have access to so coming here from a country where we maybe have 20 commonly shot spearing species uh having to sort of learn how to ID them and stuff is quite difficult um, do you suggest people like watch YouTube videos and learn the, how they look underwater or their swimming patterns? Like, um, what, what's so, your sort of- yeah, I think YouTube is a good resource for that. And I'm actually, I've been saving footage for probably eight or nine months now. I'm working on a very detailed species identification video as, as like you mentioned, as far as swimming behavior, how they're going to act underwater. Cause a lot of times the water's murky, you're looking for behavior or just the shape in general. So yeah. I've been, I've been stockpiling footage because as this, everything is growing, I'm getting a lot of first timers that have never done it. They just want to get in the water. Um, so that's going to be kind of a prerequisite for when they, they book a trip. I'm going to say, Hey, two days out, you need to watch this video a bunch and I want you to study these fish. Um, so I think YouTube is a good handle for that. And you always see these like little charts of fish shapes and colors and stuff that, that doesn't mean anything the fish looks so, <laughs> it looks so different underwater yeah, nat- natural alive it is not the same so yeah. i think that's i think that's a really good uh resource for it is youtube and instagram all the all the stuff you see videos but real real life underwater footage uh makes the difference one thing i noticed when i started was people were just like you know buy a species id book there's a really well-made set in australia called grant's guide to fishes and uh that, that it's just phenomenal really well-made book 
um, quite expensive, just beautiful books, but pretty useless for your average Spiro because there's 2,000 species in there. They're not yeah. prioritised or ranked in any order that you're going to encounter in the water. You, you, you know, like I would like to see a video where it's just like, hey, these are the first 10 species you're likely to encounter. Um and then sort of after that, these are progressively more and more difficult and rare species um, and this is what they look like as well. Because for a noob getting in the water that doesn't have a fishing background or maybe even they do have a line fishing background, it's quite challenging. Oh, absolutely. And, and like you said, the, the, even the behavior sets them apart in certain situations. Um, the, the way that I handle it, typically I have them watch YouTube videos or I'll show them some underwater photos. I say, these are the eight fish you're going to shoot everything else ignore don't even look at it don't ask oh, me nice. what it is. don't ask me what it is because you can't shoot it so don't bother focus on these and that's it yeah keep it simple eh? like that i like that i guess the other problem we're, we're sort of circling around too um you see a lot of anger among experienced bureaus about mis iding fish or you know those social media posts were like hey can someone id this um they really get under the wick of a lot of experienced guys but Part of it's just that natural learning curve. You just wish they wouldn't put that on social media for everyone to see rather than just message one person. Yeah, I, I kind of understand that. But at the same time, I kind of I, I kind of give them a little bit of uh, acknowledgement for having the, the guts to go that route. But yeah, um, at, this, at the same time, you know, I at one point in my life, I didn't know what some fish were. We all started from the very bottom. So it's like mm-hmm. I, I try to give those people a little bit of grace and try and understand, you know, instead of roasting them one other thing that that comes along with mis iding is is missizing a fish like sometimes you guys have got um a slot size as well i believe like where you have a lower and an upper size for some of the species is that right we don't have i don't think anything comes to mind as on the spearing side of things that we're allowed to spear that has a slot um but the the sizing thing that's one of the things that bugs me but with my clients, I, for the most part, if they're beginners and they're unsure, I'm in the water with them doing my very best to, you know, create opportunities. And this is the right fish. This is the right size. My general rule of thumb is if at any point you question it for a millisecond, it's probably yep. not big enough and yep. it's not worth, it's not worth it. We're going to see another one. We'll wait for the next one. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Even like Sometimes with competition spiros, like guys that are very good, they're very good at um, sizing fish. So they know they, and they remember like score sheets in terms of minimum sizes and all the rest of it. I've never been a competitive diver. I've never had the time and energy to devote to it. I always just shoot stuff that I want to eat and I don't want to fill it stuff that's <laughs> under like three pounds most of the time, <laughs> you know. Um, like sometimes a whole fish is good. Like I'm not saying you can't use smaller fish, but a lot of the time that's kind of my, my, my rough guide to a lot of species. No, I, I hear that. I, I'm all about that. I, a lot of people ask me why I don't catch, I fish for certain species. I'm like, listen, I'm a meat eater. I'm just out <laughs> here. I'm, I'm just another shark that can walk on land, but I'm, I'm, I'm out to eat. Yeah. yeah. The, the bigger, the better. um so sizing species though yeah i I think that's a good rule of thumb so any doubt in your mind at all just uh, don't pull the trigger and wait that's a that's a good one for them um what are some of the the common things you see with the new guys you you take out the the constant advice and reminders you're giving them what are the what are the the similar errors they make 
The biggest thing, and, and it's almost impossible to avoid this, but you just re- repetition, um, just try to stay calm. The biggest thing is if you can just learn to calm yourself. And I know it's hard, especially if they have, I have them for one day, you know, there's only a X amount of opportunities, but that calm demeanor can make the difference between say, especially like Wahoo spearfishing, you get one chance the entire day. If you get too anxious and just, you know, blow your load too early, that was your only opportunity. So that, and um, the piece of advice that I give for all beginners, I tell them a rushed shot is worse than no shot because once you're unloaded, you missed your opportunity on that fish. You don't know if it's going to turn around. Don't throw Hail Marys. Um, all my beginner guns, my rental guns, I single wrap them because I don't want them throwing Hail Marys all day, tearing out a fish. Take the time, learn to be a good hunter and make, make each shot count and put it where, you know, put it where it's going to hold. Yeah, nice. Nice. I like it. Uh, you'd be a, like, if people can afford it, I'd 100% recommend going out with an experienced guide. Like, um, um, this, like, there's a lot of freediving courses out there, which I actually like and I believe in for the safety side of things. But learning spearfishing is something completely different. And I haven't seen many, like, spearfishing courses that, you know, uh, are available, widely available. So going out with someone like yourself is probably a really good idea for, for a lot of people, as particularly if they're in your area. Yeah, I've actually, um, I've had a lot of requests for like a spearfishing camp and I've been working on it for realistically probably a year and a half. I'm just, I'm very meticulous on how I put things together and I want it to be right. Um, and as far as like resources and videos, I want, I, I want it to be all encompassing species, like yeah. hunting techniques, all this stuff. So I'm hoping by next summer, I will actually have something like that available. Cause like you said, that's not, for your average person who doesn't live near the water and can't do it a lot themselves to learn. I mean, there's not a lot of that opportunity out there for those people to, to spend time with someone more experienced with them. And that's why I tell them, everyone says, what's the best way to, what's the best way to, to learn how to spearfish? I say, go spend time with people that are better divers than you. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I'm a freediving instructor. I've started designing a spearfishing course as well. And like I've, I learned how to teach as well. So like, I understand, um, most people don't like I talk about the conscious sort of unconscious bias loop you know like you, you get these people when they're learning and you if you don't know what you are doing and you know nothing about it you're unconsciously incompetent if you under start to understand what you don't know then you become consciously incompetent and then once <laughs> once you advance past that then you become uh, consciously competent because you know what you've learned but then a lot of spiros fall in the last bracket which is unconsciously competent. They don't even know what they know. They just know it. And yeah. so trying to learn from those people can be really difficult because they don't even understand what it is you're learning. They've forgotten how they learned what they know and they're unable to teach it. And they're, they're also, they also don't respect the learning journey that, that, that needs to take place in order for you to be able to start doing some of these more difficult tasks. Spearfishing, despite being relatively simple when you're quite experienced, when you're starting out, it can seem very overwhelming, particularly if you don't have a strong background in the water. Great news, guys. Adam Stern has made his freedivingfamily.com courses available at a discount for the Noob Spiro community. If you get on freedivingfamily.com, use the code SPIRO, you'll get 20% off any course. There's a bunch of sick courses on there. There's an equalizing uh, stage one. There's an equalizing advanced techniques um, video there. They're two of my absolute favorites. If you have any problems with equalizing, go to freedivingfamily.com. 
get Adam's course and use the code Spiro to get 20% off any course. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. Today's Noob Spiro podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at noobspiro.com forward slash audible. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone or Android phone. Get amongst it, noobspiro.com forward slash audible. Free trial, free book, no brainer. That's noobspiro.com forward slash audible. In the world of freedive spearfishing, there's no magic breathing technique that's all of a sudden going to get you down and shoot massive fish at depth and holding big bottom times but there is a way to do it safer and smarter take down more fuel to maximize the time that you have there learn at noobspiro.com forward slash ted with ted hardy from immersion freediving if you take down more fuel you can stay for longer learning to take a bigger breath is not such a big deal ted breaks it down for you with a free online course noobspiro.com forward slash ted take down 20 to 30 percent more air just by learning how to take a full breath again Learn how to do it free at noobspiro.com forward slash TED. So with your spearfishing camp, what sort of minimum time are you looking at in order to take someone from, say, zero to consciously and competently shooting and safely shooting a fish in, say, like 30 feet of water? So that's kind of been the biggest thing for me is trying to figure out. And I've, I've had enough beginners um, come out that I, I can see what I can get them to in a day. So I think realistically... I personally would like it to be four days. There's going to be one day on land with resources running through the guns and everything, species identification, sizing, all that stuff. I would like it to be four days, whether or not that's realistic. I know that's a lot of days for someone to take vacation and get weather windows and all that stuff. So um, tentatively, I I think that's what it would be. Um, So that's what I'm, that's what I'm shooting for. I've done the same thing. I boiled it mine down to a three-day, but I was honestly not happy with the restrictions of three days. And it would be a very intensive three days in order Absolutely. to get it. I like the idea of some enclosed water stuff. So where you learn some of the micro techniques, like I actually like the idea of target shooting. I like the idea of like demonstrating a controlled swim and rescue and stuff like that. All those things that you get from a freediving course, but built into a spearfishing course. But I've found with a lot of guys that are teaching spearfishing courses, they want to teach advanced shit like oh, how to get down a 70 feet and, you know, do, you know, whatever dives and all the rest of it. It's like a lot a lot of people don't really need or, or want that. And, like, and they will learn that themselves once they've given – once they've been given a baseline of sort of training and understanding. Is that – what do you think about that? I couldn't agree with that more. I, I think – there are some people out there who, like you said, are gung-ho and they're trying to sh- teach everyone how to shoot these trophy fish. You've got to crawl before you can walk. Like you, you need to be in there shooting targets. You need to learn how to drop and weight yourself properly. So your, your feet aren't up above your head while you're trying to track a fish that you're just going to spook because you look like a giant flailing starfish. Like those little micro things. And like you said, uh, consciously, well, I can't remember what the last <laughs> one was. <laughs> uh, uh, un- uh, unconsciously competent unconsciously competent yeah all those little things and it's most of those people that are self-taught that are that way yeah um yeah you forgot all the stuff you went through and there's so many little things on a daily basis that i don't think about and a client will ask me why did you do that or how did you do that what how did you know that fish was going to do that it's just there's so many little micro details that um you can kind of crash course a lot of that but a lot of it's just the fundamental a lot of of it's the fundamentals and I, i think that's more important than anything because once you lay that baseline, your average person is going to be able to take with that, take that, and, and run with it, and yeah. and build their 
skills on top of that. There's a, a controversial thing that, that has happened in this country, and, and I think it's happened more broadly too. There have been people that wanted to mandate uh, a minimum certification level for um, spearfishing. And I think the arguments both for and against are very interesting and it's a great conversation to have. Um, I can share my opinion on it all day, Aaron, but I would love to hear what, what you think just off the top of your head. So there, there. You need credentials to be able to go spearfishing, like like you do with the driver's license. I find that very interesting. Um, it's a big topic, as, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's it's heavy. Yeah. Um, as someone who, so I, I spent a lot of time uh, scuba diving. Not a lot of time, a decent amount of time scuba diving when I was really young. I was probably ten years old when I got certified, mm. and I did a few dives with my dad. And then after that, I kind of fell out of it and got back into it. I was probably 16, 17 years old, and I I essentially was shore diving, teaching myself all this stuff in a place called the Indian River. And the visibility was, when I say two feet, <laughs> I would I would lay on the bottom and shoot shadows. I didn't yeah I didn't know what what the fish were for the longest time, and you would just lay you'd see the shadow the silhouette of the fish. So that's where I came from. And I, I just, I have a hard time understanding why you would want to, you know, make someone have to get that certification. But at the same time, with the exposure that spearfishing is gaining and the traction and it's the new thing, everybody wants to try it, more accidents are happening. So I, you know, I kind of, I could see both sides, but I think that's going to be a tough one to sell. I'll be honest, Australia and, and I'm, I'm not having a go at everyone here. I'm just saying like in New Zealand, we're, we're guilty of a, a fair amount of like nanny state thinking. And so <laughs> by, by that, I mean like people want you to have a license for everything. Like, and I'll be honest, I, I went and did a firearms license uh, years after shooting, growing up shooting firearms. And I'll be real honest with you. It didn't give me uh, any more information. And I don't think I retained anything from that other than, you know, don't shoot, you know, um, things on the skyline, you know, um, just, just shit like that, which, which, you know, like if you spend an afternoon with a, a, a fairly responsible gun owner, they will teach you all that shit anyway and you'll learn it in the context of actually shooting the gun and having some fun and it's far more likely to stick with you. I find the mechanism that bureaucracy imparts to most of these licensing things to not actually achieve what it sets out to, which is give people a safe baseline of safety and understanding and competency. Um, so I feel like if a course can stand up on its own merits and people pay to come and do it because it's good, then that's probably better serving our community anyway. But anyway, like I said, I've got big I, de- I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um, man, we got, we went heavy. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, well, okay. so I, I do this, sorry. Um, I listened to your interview on Wild Fishing Game podcast uh, with my brothers over there. I, I enjoy those boys. And I remember you talking with Justin about your favourite fish, wahoo. Um, why do you like wahoo from the ocean to the plate? Why is it one of your favourite species? In Take us through hunting them, a couple of memorable stories, and then how you like plating them up. So just there, if you've ever experienced them, you've ever watched a video, if you're new into spearfishing, you've seen a Wahoo video. It's like the ultimate, I mean, other than a dog tooth tuna or the big tunas, I think it's like the ultimate species. Um, there's just something about hunting them. They're like these ghosts. And if you've ever drifted for them, you're just sitting there bored out of your mind. 
and they sneak up on you every time and it runs chills over your body. I've shot hundreds, hundreds of Wahoo. Every single one that swims by gives me the chills and it is, there's, it's, it's a, a feeling that you can't fake. So the hunting is just there. They, they do it to you. I don't know what it is about them. They're just an amazing fish from when you see them come in, do you shoot them and land them? What's your biggest um, one the, or your most memorable hunt? Um, so I've only, I've shot a few in the sixties. I've never broken the 70 pound mark here. That's still um, a I big several, fish. I, uh, we don't, we rarely get them down in Key West. We get a lot. So we get a lot of numbers, but we don't get the big, big ones. Um, the most memorable for me probably was last year. I had a, a good, actually a good friend of mine kind of client, but he's a good friend of mine for years and years. Um, his name's Clayton Love. He came down, never done it before. And if you've ever, if you've ever spearfished Wahoo, there's two people that go Wahoo spearing. The people who shoot one their first time ever trying or the people who have been 15 times and never seen one. There's not, not, there's not really any in between. So Clayton was one of those guys. We went out. I'm not lying. We floated for 45 minutes, maybe an hour, maybe two hours. It wasn't, it wasn't long for Wahoo standards. And didn't see anything. And I turn around and the school's coming towards us. And the, the big one is leading the pack and it comes right at us. And I turn my head out of the water. I say, Clayton, get ready. Here it comes. And this 70 pound, it was 71 or 72 comes in square straight up on him. Like textbook. You could, you could not ask for a better shot. Clayton, mind you, has never been blue water spearfishing in his entire life. The deepest he's ever dove was like 18 feet shooting hogfish. And uh, two hours in, he shoots a 71 pound. <laughs> we got back to the dock and I said, Clayton, I'm, as a friend of yours, do not ever go Wahoo spearfishing ever again. You're going to be disappointed. <laughs> uh, that's, that's in some ways a, a delightful story. And then I, I can relate to what you're saying. Like early success sometimes um, leads you to expect, have false expectations every time you go. Absolutely. And th- those are one of those fish that, like I said, it's, it's one or the other. There's not really any in between. Um, yeah. But getting back on track, you know, after you shoot them, like that's the best part, but there's such a versatile fish as far as um, on the plate. Like you can do sashimi, you can do ceviche cooked. They are incredible. Just all around. It's a white tuna and it's, it's, uh, it's just very versatile and it's, it's one of my favorites. Mm. You you seem you and your partner Madeline seem like you enjoy the whole experience of spearfishing all the way from because some guys like love putting together just the montages of you know all their favorite shots and holding up the fish and stuff and I get that side of it I love that side of it too a lot of them miss that journey to the plate um, you guys seem to do it give us a cooked wahoo recipe that you like so one of my favorites is probably. Um I do these Wahoo sandwiches. So you take the tricky part about Wahoo is it it is a mackerel. So it dries out. If you overcook it, I literally cook Wahoo with a stopwatch. You have about 12 to 15 second window from when it's medium rare to overdone. Okay. Um, So I I just sear it. It's about a minute on each side for about a half inch medallion. Um, I roast red peppers and I do a slice, a thin slice of mozzarella and I do like a wasabi mayo on some Cuban uh-huh. bread and a little, little bit of avocado. And some people think cheese on fish is weird, but it, if, if you do this right, or instead of wasabi mayo, you do like a sriracha, yep, um, yep. roasted red pepper, seared wahoo, avocado, wasabi mayo, nice. 
Oh. You can get crazy with it. Throw a little lettuce on there, whatever you want. But it's just it's it's an amazing sandwich. It's unbelievable. I've changed my ideas about cheese on with fish. Like I I had a capacio a little while ago. I think it was Wahoo too, actually. And we had this like really expensive Italian Parmesan cheese. Jeepers, it yeah. was just absolutely banging. I loved it with black pepper. Just so good. Yeah, it's a, it's a controversial issue, especially on YouTube. You get the, uh, especially the Italians up north, they, uh, they don't like cheese on fish. My, my roommate, Will, is a chef and his family uh, pretty much crucifies him every time he puts cheese on fish. They won't, they'll shun him for a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Man, if it's going in pasta, my personal opinion is pasta never goes without cheese. You've just got to pair it with the right one. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Man, awesome. I have yet to shoot my first Wahoo. I have started seeing them, but I've never really been out just deliberately targeting them, which it sounds like it's a fish that lends well to like a little bit of deliberate effort specifically targeting them. Yeah, it's – there's not a lot of opportunities where you're accidentally going to stumble upon one. I have maybe four or five stories of Wahoo that weren't supposed to be where they were. For the most part, you got to put your time in. You got to sit out there and drift and be bored and just wait. You're using a flasher, um, throw flashes. What, what, what are you um, sort of using? So we use, we use throw flashers. Um, there's a local company here that makes them. You can make them yourself. Uh, there's a local company called Merc Crew that makes them and I buy oh, them from I've them. They're them. just, yeah, they're pretty basic and straightforward, but they work. And then we use the throw flashers. A lot of people chum. I'll be honest with you. In the past four years, I've chummed maybe two or three days. We get the bull sharks really bad. So the more you chum, the more trouble you're asking for. All right, cool. So you're just drifting patches of reef where they are known to frequent and then you're using a throw flasher when they come in. Yep. Or are you doing some drops, just throwing it into into the blue and then sort of swimming down and getting it retrieved? Uh, a, lo- a lot of people drop. I'm not a big drop guy. I I – I want to be on the surface with a good breath when they do come in. Um, I've, I've seen so many people drop and then they're on their way up and they follow them on the way up and then they're on the surface yeah. freaking out because they have, they have no air and they got to get back down. And they're just, you're kind of asking for a rush shot there, but you see it, you see it with a, like we call them Spanish mackerel here. I think you guys call them King mackerel there. or They're a scomborous commercial, I think is their name. But anyway, um, quite often when you're drifting for them, Someone will do a bomb drop to the bottom, and as they're coming up, they always come in. Are wahoo like that? Are they ever like no, that? No, so our, our kingfish stay low like that, and they will follow you up. On average, when our wahoo come in, they're shallower than 40 feet, and they typically won't follow you. Um, they they kind of come in. You have a short window of them being curious, and then they're gone just as quickly as they came. They're like ghosts. So that – okay, so let's just say I've got a school coming in at me. Um, or they're, maybe they're just swimming just out of range and they're sort of heading off on that slow course that they do and you can try and chase them. It doesn't seem to work in my experience. What do you do in those situations? Is that where the throw flasher comes in? So, and there's exceptions to all this. If they're coming in and they look curious, typically I'm just going to engage them. I'm going to get to their level. I'm not going to drop at them. I kind of want to run parallel to them, if you will and just kind of meet them in the direction that they're going. Now, if they start to rear out a little and kind of turn, that's when I'll start to use that throw flasher. And it's just, it's more of a distraction to get them to focus on that so I can close the gap than it is. Sometimes sometimes they'll turn right on it, but typically that's more of a distraction. And if they're on their way out, I'm rarely going to chase them because there's not a lot of scenarios where a wall who's going to change its mind and turn around and let you get, let you get a shot at it. 
So you just you just have a quiet cry there on the surface and await your next <laughs> yeah. opportunity. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, well, I can relate to that one. Just my wahoo spearfishing has just been all tears so far and no joy. I told you there's only there's only one or two roads and you got yeah, the, you got yeah. this the shit end of the stick. <laughs> yeah. I I think um spearfishing like it's one of the appeals. It's like you you sometimes spearfishing is about what you haven't shot rather than what you have. Like you're always like like those those fish that keep you like you know like you have like a half an hour hunt with one fish and then it it outwits you and you don't get it. You know, the other ones that keep you coming back and really looking forward to the next time you get a chance to hunt them. Is that would you would you share that sort of passion? Oh, absolutely. I I mean, if you went out there and shot the same fish every single time you tried, after a certain point it's gonna lose its its glam at the, you know, at some point. But I think that desire and that just like the challenge and it's it's all a part of it. Like you said, even going a little further back, it's all part of that journey leading up to putting that fish on the plate that whole thing comes full circle and then, and the fish that elude you are the ones that, that really drive you back into the water every day. Would you describe the Key West area and surrounds as a target rich environment? Very much so. And I, th- I think what's really great about Key West is for, for the most part, each season is bringing a different fishery, like our winter time, the Wahoo show up and then right behind them, the Cobia will show up. And then there's some blackfin tunas, which are hard to spear and then right when the spring starts to slow down, you lose those pelagic species. You think it's time to get bored. Well, then grouper season opens. You've got grouper through the, uh, the entire summer and you've got all your snappers, your mutton snapper spawn, your mangrove, your cabarrus, excuse me. Um, oh, and in the spring, you've got African pompano and there's king mackerels. And I mean, there's just so many different species to target. Um, and it, it really is a healthy fishery. If you know where to go, obviously, um, it's, it's a wonderful place. Mm. Man, your Instagram is also good. Um, Dibs on adventures. You you write these um, terrible captions that are often three or four <laughs> words at most, <laughs> which I can hundred percent relate to. It's like shit. I'm just gonna get this up there, and you just like, you know, you you run out of like witty quotes and funny shit to say, so you just chuck up the photo, which I quite like. There's this really cool video of a massive hammerhead shark in there. Um, Man, they're a cool animal. I wanted to talk about sort of sharks in your area. From my understanding, you're getting the occasional hammerhead in, uh, but lots of bull sharks and uh, tiger sharks as well. Talk about the shark situation there and, and how you manage it and, and um, how you coach people through it. So I'd say the most common shark we have is bulls. The, the most common is bull, lemons, reef, um, I wish I saw more tigers. I'll be honest with you. I, I see a few here and there, but definitely not as much as the others. Hammerheads come through pretty heavy in the winter time. Uh, but I think our biggest competitor are lemons, lemons and bulls. And it kind of depends on which area you're in, what you're doing. For the most part, our sharks compared to a lot of places on the planet, our sharks are very mellow and sharks is a very sensitive topic, depending on where you go, who, <laughs> who you're talking to, whatever. But Um, for the most part, I think we're blessed because our sharks for the most part, now don't quote me on this. This is not expert advice. Our sharks for the most part will back down. If you present yourself as a predator, I personally maybe lose two fish a year and it's on accident because I'm not paying attention. Do you you Um, think that's because of the beard though? Probably. I think that's what it is. It's gotta be the beard. Yeah. 
<laughs> very, very intimidating. I mean, sharks can't grow beards, so I would be intimidated. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce is like, he's been through puberty and just bails. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Finding Nemo and get the reference there. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you said um, as soon as you present as a predator. So um, give us some, um, some ways of doing that. So for me personally, and again, if you're not comfortable doing this, I do not recommend doing it. The second I shoot a fish, and no, ma no matter the scenario, obviously Wahoo's different. He can't get that to you. I get that fish to my my person as quickly as possible, and I pretty much bear hug it, secure it. Um, and I've never had a shark come past that barrier once I have that fish. Now, when you let fish dangle and squirm and flop and create all those vibrations and action in the water, I always tell my clients, action brings action. If you let that fish sit out there and give the shark the opportunity, he's going to take it every single time. They're opportunists. They're looking for a meal. If I'm the predator, I have the fish. They know that they 99 out of a hundred times. I've never had any issues and I'm braining the fish right away. Now, if you're, if you have it on your belt and it's still flopping, you're probably going to have an issue. Mm. So I get it to myself. I secure it, brain it. And, uh, that's, that's my method. And I, I'm undefeated so far, knock on wood. One thing I noticed about all your vids too, particularly actually all your hunting, I noticed you know, you, you, you show the whole process. So you show the braining and then you show bleeding as well. That's awesome talking about reducing action. For braining, how do you teach people that are new to it? So uh, on, on the majority of your species, it's going to be about, you know, a half to three-quarter inch, depending on the size of the fish. It gets bigger as the fish gets bigger. But it's about a 45 degree up behind the eye, back towards the tail behind the eye. And the, the mistake most people make is when they come down, they want to come directly on the top ridge of the head where you come kind of at a 45 and you'll actually feel the skull. And every time they feel the skull, they stop and they're going, why isn't it dead? Well, you have to push past that bone. So you come in at a 45, like I said, 45 behind the eye. And then the knife is also at a 45 coming down. I actually have a YouTube video on it because that it's, it's actually something that a lot of people struggle with. And it's, um, it's again, it's one of those things where I, I don't even second guess it because it's just, it's natural. I do it so many times. Yeah. Unconscious competence yeah so that's kind of my method i know that was long-winded but no no that's good and i mean that's that's the explanation it requires and do you do you give it the loving twist when you've penetrated the 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 skull yeah i give it a little loop kind of uh, in and like like you would scoop ice cream out just kind of twirl uh, it around and you'll the old brain you'll scoop. feel you'll know yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, yeah, yeah <laughs> i get it yeah um and bleeding too which i was i was quite pleased to see like um a lot of sparrows don't bleed their fish and it's just like come on dudes what are you doing here um describe bleeding so typically i'm going there's that little it's a little clear membrane almost on every fish it's going to be a little clear membrane right under the gills where the neck or throat would be that main artery runs that heart and you just run that knife straight from the very bottom where the gills start and kind of up towards the head and uh, 99% of the time you're going to hit just enough and you'll see it. There's no mistake when you, when you bleed them properly. And why, why should guys want to bleed their fish, you reckon? I personally like to do it. Um, I think that especially on your sashimi grade fish, anything you're doing ceviche with, you'll notice a big difference on meat quality. Um, and something else, especially for the snappers and bigger groupers or jacks, if you don't bleed your fish and you take it to the fillet table, if you notice it is an absolute bloody mess and you're filleting your fish and it is just covered with blood, which yeah, it's the fish's blood, but I'm not looking to eat that. I want a nice clean white fillet. Mm. Nice man. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, 
I was telling you I watched your Heaven on Earth vid this morning before we um, jumped on the call. Um, you managed to capture what you call a slicker there. We call it a, a glass <laughs> out here. Um, a glass out, I like that. Yeah, but a slicker I like too because it's just like, I don't know, there's something special about zero wind, uh, an amazing sort of – it seems to be unique to different uh, pressure systems as well. Like you must have had a, a big high-pressure system off off the coast there. We had a lot of wind. Last week we paid for all the calm weather we've been having, and it blew – it was like wintertime. It blew 20 knots for uh, probably five or six days, and whatever went by, it's, it took everything with it. And for three days, actually today and tomorrow were the same – and it is just glass calm. And those moments, those, those like peaceful, quiet moments are so rare out on the ocean when, because typically you hear the boat slap yeah. or the water slap in the boat's hole or something, but it was just dead, quiet, calm. And that's just such a rare treat out on the water. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like the vid, man. It's just like you guys are just sitting there and you didn't even want to talk because it's just like ruins the ruins the silence and like we, I, I, we we turn the cameras off for like 20 minutes i know youtube land makes things seem different but we literally turned the cameras off for like 20 minutes and sat there it was awesome yeah beautiful yeah those moments man like i think spearfishing's made up as much of those moments as it is the you know the the rest of the experience like and and we don't do a great job sometimes of sharing that story and that experience with the rest of the world like you know like i like having the stereo blasting sometimes when I'm on the way out to the spot with with my mates and we're all just joking around being dickheads. Like to me, that's some of the funnest times like in my spearfishing and I love that part of it as much as I do the rest of it, you know. So I like – hats off to you for your videos for capturing some of those those other moments that happen as well. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that, that goes on that, you know, it's we talked about it earlier. It's not so much the fish or the – the final product as it is the whole journey and just everything about it. It's, it's hard to explain, but once you feel it, you'll know. Now you were also telling me, I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you, tell this, but you, you put it in the email that like that video hasn't been performing as well as the rest of your things. Um, with YouTube, it seems odd sometimes what works and what doesn't like, why do you think maybe that one, have you got any ideas why it hasn't landed as well as some of your other stuff? I honestly don't know. Maybe it's the thumbnail. Um, YouTube's a, YouTube's a funny animal. Um, 100%. R- right when you think you understand it, they, they throw you a curveball. But quite frankly, I, um, if my fellow, we'll call them YouTubers. I guess that's what I am now. I didn't know it, but I'm a YouTuber. Sorry, man. You're um, a YouTuber. Everyone, yeah, <laughs> everyone's, everyone's been telling me that views are down the last month, and it's it may be a seasonal thing. You know, I don't know. Yeah. So I don't, I don't look too much into it. I try not to be clickbaity. I just put out what I'm doing. If people like it, great. If they don't want to watch it, I'm not mad at them. If I, you know. I've talked to a few different um, spearing YouTubers now and the ebbs and flows of it seems to be be quite annoying at times, I think, because you haven't changed necessarily whatever it is you're doing. It's just the dreaded algorithm seems to just oh, uh, boy. Do, do something. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing of being on someone else's platform, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. And like you said, ebbs and flows, and I try not to look too much into it because the second you start questioning it and trying to figure it out, uh, you're just going to stress yourself out for no reason. Just keep putting out videos and the rest will work. Boom, 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 boom. I want you in my, Oh no. I've got, Oh no. Oops. I meant to be recording adverts for audible. Today's show sponsors, I can't get over it. You busted me singing my favorite classic song, 
from Venger Boys. Anyway, I've got a bunch of books that I'm listening to on Audible right now, and I reckon you should too. Uh, Breath or Breathe, I'm not sure what it is actually. I think it's Breath, The New Science for a Lost Art by James Nestor. Um, phenomenal information here about breathing. And I think James came about this sort of this idea from his background learning how to freedive. Um, check that out on Audible at noobspiro.com forward slash audible for free. Noobspiro.com forward slash audible. Free trial, free book. No brainer. That's noobspiro.com forward slash audible. Do you like to penetrate? Great news. Penetrator Fins, today's Noob Spirit podcast sponsor, are tough as nails. Robust, dependable performers with beyond industry standard warranty. Communicate direct with Larry and his team 24-7 for all your fin inquiries at penetratorfins.com or at penetratorfins on Instagram. Baby spum finish. These things are smooth as silk. They glide through the water. They give you that awesome balance between power and efficiency. This is Penetrator Fins. Use the code Anubspiro to save $25 on any pair of Penetrator Fins at PenetratorFins.com. That's right, use the code Anubspiro to save $25 on any pair of Penetrator Fins at PenetratorFins.com. You like having a good time, I can tell. Um, what's some of the one of the funniest things that's ever happened to you out spearfishing? Oh, man. I'd have to dig deep for that one. I don't know. There's a lot of like... I don't, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast, but I'm very partial to a poo story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, go Equiblog, bro. I'm, I'm in, we I'm were, in uh, This was years ago. Oh, love a good poo story. But this was years <laughs> ago. So uh, during lobster season, obviously lobster season's a nightmare down here. I don't know what it's like over there for you guys, but um, during mini season, it's, uh, it's just, it's absolutely dreadful. There's a million boats running around. So the, the lobsters get worked over real good. Anyways, after a certain point, all your, what you think are your spots are pretty much, they're worked over. Everyone's got them. So you start dragging. So you drag your people behind the boat to look for new spots. So we have <laughs> one of our buddies that was been giving shit to the other buddy all day was in the back dragging on the, the rope and the other guy uh, sat off the back and took a shit right uh, upstream <laughs> of him and drug him right into it with the boat. <laughs> now that is classic. That's good. That's good. That's a pair of good dive buddies there. I like that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what was his reaction when he got back on the boat? Was he stoked? Uh, he was not thrilled about it. I will say that. They, they exchanged words. <laughs> <laughs> so the top 20 YouTube channels that got listed in the New Spirit community, I've asked everyone for a video submission, so I asked you for it. But maybe a couple of those questions I could ask now, like um, what's been maybe the most memorable comment, even if it was a troll um, on your YouTube videos? Mm, I, I honestly, I, I honestly don't know. The, so I, I actually replied to all my comments, which is kind of insane. I don't even know why I do it. It's more so because I, I can clear the notifications and the notifications <laughs> drive me crazy. I'm that guy that can't have any notifications on this phone. Yeah. Um, I'm the same, but I get it. it's, it's, it's the, it's the people that will tell me for absolutely no reason that, the way that I cook something was wrong. Like you should have done this. I'm like, well, you should do it when you make the sandwich. Like I'm, I'm, I'm the one eating the sandwich. Why are you telling me, why are you telling me what to do with my food? This yeah. is so irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just people on the internet. You know, once you get, once you go out to the, the interwebs, you know, you never know what you're going to uh, have come back at you. So. Yeah. Yeah. I find uh I think some people have a massive disconnect between 
how they comment on videos and who they are in real life. I'm just like, like there's a way to talk to people. Like you can you could say, hey, Aaron, man, I really enjoyed that cooking video. I do it slightly different. You know, this is the way I do it. But it's just like, you did that wrong, asshole. <laughs> like it's just like, come on, man. Like. There's know. some some people some people that leave comments. I don't know how they function in day to day life. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's mind blowing. Oh, they call everyone a what are they, like a you know like a wet blanket or you're fucking soft. Get used to it or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like so we're I'm all, really I'm really good at uh, leaving snarky remarks. Yeah, that kind of say fuck off, but I don't actually say it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty good at that. So I actually enjoy the comments. I have I have a good time in there with the trolls. They uh. They normally don't reply after I'm done with them. <laughs> I think the other thing too, man, like when you yourself on uh, on whatever it is you do and people like you, like sometimes other people will gang up on them for you, like get out of here, dickhead sort of thing. This is yeah, so it's funny because the channel, and I never in a million years would imagine this, it's to the point where someone will say something negative and there'd be 11 other people on his ass. And yeah. <laughs> before you know it, he deleted his comment. He's yeah. out of there. I had – um. There's a couple of guys on the podcast um, a while ago and they got accused of fishing in a marine park and someone got on and uh, on my community and, and spoke some shit about him and I was just kind of like, if you understand exactly what happened and you were there or you've seen proof of something, that that's all, all well and good, um, make your remarks. But I, I stuck up for him because I was just like, man, I personally know those dudes and they are salt of the earth good human beings and if they did it i'd be enormously surprised and until someone has proven that it has actually happened then just freaking leave them alone like because yeah i don't know when you when you when you have good people around you they tend to look after you that was kind of my point yeah that's actually a funny point you're saying pretty much they made an assumption and that's that's one of the biggest things that i've not struggled with with youtube but i've noticed that for example, I'll fillet a fish and I'll cook just the fillets for dinner. Well, I save all the carcasses. I eat the head, the, the rack. I eat everything on, on all my fish. And uh, I'll get all these comments. You should have saved the heads. Why did I'm like, you don't, you didn't see what I did with them. Did you see me throw them in the trash can? Why are you making these assumptions? Yeah. Uh, and that kind of, that's kind of the same type of thing. And, and again, it's the internet. It's people. Yeah, do yeah. That. It's funny. I think sometimes. We get, we're going deep and dark again here. Sorry, Aaron. Um, yeah, we are. No, it's good. Uh, I was going to say, like, sometimes people will say that because you have, now have a platform and an audience that you have a certain duty of care or responsibility to always be promoting all the best and safest and, you know, you know greatest ethical stuff all the time. And, you, and, a, and a, do, do you find that a, a little bit of a pressure with it? So more recently, yeah, I kind of do. But at the same time, I've always held myself very accountable for my decisions and I find it funny that someone would try to say that their mistake was a result of something that I did. Like at the end of the day, you make your decisions. So if, if you see me free diving with sharks and, you know, pulling my fish in and all this stuff, you make that decision. Yeah. And one of the big ones is people see me on my little boat and they go, why don't you have a life jacket on? Well, uh. I'm sitting down driving my boat. The odds of me falling out, are almost impossible. Even if I fainted, I'd fall on the boat. And it's just, it's a, it's a weird pressure because I'm worried. It makes me worry and go, am I sending a bad message, especially to younger, the younger generation? I, yeah. I never, ever want to do that. But at the end of the day, I'm a grown up. I'm following the laws. It's not, it's not required by law that I do certain, like wear a yeah. life jacket while driving my boat. I don't have to do that, but 
Um, it is, it's kind of a, it's a strange feeling. And I, I just, I hope people understand that I have good intentions. I would never try to encourage anyone to do the wrong thing because I personally never would do the wrong thing. I, I, I try to keep, you know, a high level of, of integrity with everything that I do. That's good, man. I think when you hold your, hold yourself and, 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 you know, to a high standard with regards to the stuff and you're thoughtful about it, then you're doing the best job you can and everyone's human and, you know, whatever. I, I, yeah, I, I um, I've had a few struggles with this recently. Like, some people dislike. I've I've heard I've heard some feedback among some older divers um, that they don't like the podcast necessarily because it gives um, new divers too much information too soon, and you know they feel like spearfishing is a gradual. I'm trying to represent their views in a well balanced here instead of just being precious about it. But they they they, they would say that. Um, you need to spend a long time doing it, and over time, you develop the 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 sense and the and then the wisdom in order to use some of the skills and techniques and and ideas in order to dive at depth, you know, competently and safely and stuff like that. Um, so I kind of get what you're talking about here, but I don't believe in necessarily having gatekeepers for everything either. Like I I I'm very much like a person that's quite autonomous, and I seek to learn and. And know know stuff for myself as well, but I take responsibility for that. Like if I learn some information, then I need to learn the other side of it and how it's used and applied correctly. But I don't know. Again, like I said, we went deep and dark there, buddy. I like deep and dark. It's fun. Yeah. Let's let's keep going with deep and dark then. Tough stuff. Like what's something where you've maybe you, you've you've nearly killed yourself or or something like that. It's like some something hectic out in the ocean where you you know you've come away from it, but definitely with lessons learned. Um, so one of the, and this was actually when I first moved to Key West and before I moved here, I was free diving and spearfishing, but I wouldn't consider myself experienced as to where I am today. And kind of stepping back on what you just said, I think there's different types of learners. I'm the type of guy that I like to learn from my mistakes. I don't want anyone to show it to me. I want to do it myself because I learn best when I do it wrong and I will never, ever do it that way ever again. And an example of that, uh, is line management. And that's something I preach with all of my beginners. Line management can literally take your life if you're not safe about it. I've watched, I've actually saved people's lives that have been wrapped up in real line with cobias and uh, bull sharks trying to grab the cobia. And if they go, if that shark grabs that fish, they're down. I can't stop that. So I personally was hunting with a float line. I had a gun that didn't have a reel on it. And I was in about 70 feet of water. Um, and this was probably the first year I lived in Key West. So I was still very green. I went down about 65 feet. I shot a mutt and let the fish dangle. This was back before I had a pretty strong opinion on letting fish dangle and flop. Let the fish dangle and flop and just kind of slowly brought the float line up. Well, I was to about 30, 30 to 25 feet and I had stopped and I was just letting myself float because I was positively buoyant and I was pulling the float line up and the fish was about 10 feet away from me and the float line had created uh, kind of like that reverse loop Yep. And my, when I, re, when I reached to grab the line, my hand went through the loop and right when I grabbed it, a bull shark came and grabbed that, that mutton and pulled. And that, what that float line do cinched right down on my wrist. And I went straight back down to the bottom. Uh, luckily I had enough air left in me and I was able to get back up. It almost removed my shoulder from my sock or from my, from the socket. Um, but that was an eye opening moment that just, that, that was a, one of the toughest situations I've ever had. And it, I, I, I genuinely could have died and it was, it was absolutely terrifying. And that, that was one of those things that really woke me up and I was like, okay, well, line management is a thing and I'm never, ever doing that ever again. Okay. So 
give us some basics on line management um, for various levels of hunters. What do you see some common things that people are doing wrong and maybe how can we create some rules of thumb if you like? The biggest mistake that I see uh, personally is uh, wahoo spearfishing because you're using flow lines and then when we're out in the, uh, the Gulf, we're shooting cobia and stuff, but it's normally with reels. So your average beginner diver is going to get shoot, get to the surface, and they're going to pull that float or float line or reel line, and they're going to pretty much pull it to their chest and just keep pulling. And all they're doing is creating this big, giant bird nest around their body. It's around their arms. You're literally asking for a disaster. So the rule of thumb that I tell everyone is you while you're fighting a fish or pulling a line, whether the fish is actually running or you're bringing it in, you are always moving. You're moving forward. Every, every inch of line you pull goes behind you. Mm. Every five seconds, look back, make sure it's not around your fins, around your ankle. Or your dive buddy. Or your dive buddy, exactly. <laughs> you have to be clear of that line at all times. So that's been, I've had more close calls with people getting wrapped up in line than probably any other scenario out there. Yeah, great point. And um with the wahoo, they're surface running. Often you'll have one of those flexy sort of bungee style um, ropes on. What are you sort of seeing in that particular scenario? The wahoo are a lot more give and take. And I think it's nicer because I like a float line because I'm, I don't even have to worry about the gun. The gun is completely, I normally throw the gun in the boat and you're doing just the line and pulling with one hand and I'm throwing the, the float line behind me with the other. And you just, as that fish takes, you let him take. As it gives, you take from him. So... Nice. Love it, man. So you had a big day today. Tell us about what you were doing today. Did you have a charter out today? Yeah, I had a charter. Um, it was it was actually two relatively green uh, Spiros, and it was a father and a son. The, the dad was a 25-foot 20, diver. The son was a 35-foot diver. And when they got on the boat, I was a little nervous because they made it sound like they were going to have a tough time. And whether it was they did something right – um, in the universe, or I don't know what was going on. There was fish everywhere. Pretty much every drift we had, we got a, uh, a red grouper limit. We had a black grouper limit. There were mutton snappers everywhere. It got to a point where they were pretty much like, we've got enough fish. We should just probably snorkel. Like, this is incredible. <laughs> um, it, it was, it was one of those days where I told him, I said, listen, you probably should never book with me ever again, because it's not going to be like this. <laughs> Like I think managing expectations must be a big part of the job. Any charter boat would be the same. Like you can't control what's going on. Like, um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, if if you ask anyone that's been watching me for long enough, I, I'm probably almost a little annoying about it. I will post all of my bad days just along with my good days. And and the truth is, at the end of the day, the charter captains we're just like the the clients. Like we enjoy fishing. We want to be out there. We I get zero pleasure when we don't spear fish. Um, like we want to fill the boat with fish. We want you to have a good time. So the reality of sharing those moments, like, Hey, some days it's just, no matter what I do, I can't, I can't produce. And as much as it sucks, I like people to know that like, sometimes there's nothing you can do. It's still fishing at the end of the day. Yeah, man. Awesome. Friends, check out oldmanblue.com.au. It's quality-made dive gear right there in the Western Australia by a really cool team. The Old Man Blue team are a very experienced bunch of frothing spiros that live the life and have done so for a number of years. Check it out at oldmanblue.com.au. Shrek, my dude. 
You're killing it on the Noob Spiro podcast. Every guest you get on frosts on the spearing life and the actionable info is off the chain. Over here at Spearing Magazine HQ, it's the same, buddy. So many noobers are submitting their adventures, lessons learned, and pictures here at spearingmagazine.com. Just wanted to say that uh, noobers can get an international subscription here at spearingmagazine.com. They can also check out our In the Face Apparel or getting a subscription to the world's greatest spearing magazine check it out at spearingmagazine.com shrek thanks love what you're doing jeremy out equalizing problems can be something that derail you not today my friend go to freedivingfamily.com check out the either the friends or an advanced friends or video or the mouthful and deep friends or equalization course at freedivingfamily.com you can use the code spiro to get 20 percent off any course at freedivingfamily.com these courses are put together by adam stern and a select team of, of of legends and to help you overcome different issues and help you perform better and some of them are extremely relevant for freedive spearing check it out at freedivingfamily.com use the code spiro to get 20% off any course. All right, we've got two sort of sections of the show left, and then I'm going to let you head to bed uh, and probably editing a bunch more videos tomorrow or running yeah. a charter or going commercial diving or whatever it is you're doing tomorrow. You're a busy man. Um, your dive bag. Um, what's in your dive bag from head to toe, average day diving out there? And I actually want to hear about that little boat that you and I see you and Madeline scooting around the mangroves in because that's a cool little whip. Yeah. Um, so I'll start with mask. I actually wear a scuba diving mask and, uh, this is probably an unpopular opinion to a lot of people. Some of us have big giant heads and big foreheads and every free diving mask is extremely uncomfortable and drives me crazy. So I wear a scuba pro solo. It is the greatest mask for me on the planet. doesn't mean it's right for everybody. Um, I just use a, a SoFlo spearfishing with a white rubber snorkel. I, I like a high vis snorkel. Okay. Um, just so your buddy can uh, see you from the surface or yeah, I I like down here. It's getting more and more busy and all the people from Miami come down and they don't know what the heck they're doing. They almost run you over every day. Boat traffic is a, is a big one as well. Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's a nightmare down here. Um, especially on the weekends, you get all the people from Miami, they bring their boats down anyways. Um, suits. I've got so many different types of suits. Um, I got, I have a lot of neptonic suits that I like. I got a couple of custom polo sub suits. I'm an odd shaped guy. Apparently if you're six, one, you're supposed to be like 190 pounds. So nothing fits me properly. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, I weigh the same weight I did in high school and it probably has something to do with diving six days a week, but yeah, I was going to say uh, that you're, you're, you're a skinny unit. Yeah. I'm 152 pounds soaking wet. Oh yeah. Well, I'll give you a hundred, I'll give you a hundred <laughs> of my pounds, bro. And then I'll be down to 200. Oh, <laughs> 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 um, so weight belt, I have an alchemy, um, just your silicone stretchy weight belt. I really like the stretchy ones. I don't like the ones that are uh, that fabric material or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yep, canvas um, or whatever. They just slide up and down your hips. Annoying. Yeah. Yeah, it's a they're a nightmare. Yeah. Um, I got a uh, red tide dive knife, double serrated. Love a double serrated edge. Uh, there's not a lot of scenarios in my day to day that I need a straight edge. So the ser- double serrated is uh, clutch for me. Yeah, right. I always. Always have a flashlight. Neptonics uh, makes a flashlight as well. Uh, they're a great group of, group of guys. I know Jerry was on here. Um, yeah, they, point, Neptonics sponsor the podcast as well. And uh, Jerry, Jerry, yeah, they, they, they. Uh, I, I have, I pay someone at Neptonics salary. There's so much stuff I buy. They just make <laughs> some great. They make some great stuff over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I always have a dive light because 
a lot of our reef here is ledgy. There's holes, especially the grouper hunting. I never don't have a, a flashlight on me. Okay. Um, and then what are my, what are those, those socks? Anyway, Argos one mil socks. I think those, I think those are the greatest dive socks ever made. Why? They're low, they're low cut, they're thin, they hold together well. Um, and then my alchemy, um, S fins, love those, the carbons, the lightest, most comfortable fins I've ever put on in my life. It's, I'm not a big sponsor guy. It's just, I don't yeah. know, not to sound like, not to sound like a rebel. I just don't like being told what to do. I find, and, uh, I find, alchemy, I find Spiros, even when they're sponsored, have a fair bit of integrity about what gear they like from their sponsor and what they don't. And I think they also have that awkward conversation with their sponsors when they don't really like some of the gear that they've been given. So, Well, anyone anyone who's ever approached me, I, I say, well, you have to send me whatever it is first. If I don't like it, I'm sending it back. I'm going to tell you. So that's the main reason. And Alchemy has a, a, a really uh, cool group of guys over there, and they they're, they understand – I'm going to dive. I'm going to put the gear to the test. If it works, it'll show. If it doesn't work, it's going to show. So we get along really well. They don't. They don't Are they really Spanish or French or? Uh, Greece. Oh, it's Greek. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that makes sense now. Yeah. No, I have seen them around there. Yeah. I haven't had a lot to do with it yet. I, th- I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds right. It sounds right. I may be mistaken. I'm coming off of seven days of diving. My brain's not right. <laughs> You're always coming <laughs> it's off. So, it's somewhere over there. I know it's not here. <laughs> I feel terrible for you coming off seven days diving. I've I've come off seven days of COVID. So. <laughs> oh man. Nah, it's all good. Good lord. Nah, it's all good. Um, spear guns. I, I noticed you. You're running a timber rear handle, and you seem to keep it pretty simple. It's a conventional spear gun. Yeah, just straightforward. Fifty-two inch. Uh, we call them rear handle plus. Um, I built a lot of my own guns. Uh, years ago and I kind of had this gun I threw banana stickers on and it kind of became a thing of legend and um, everybody wanted one so uh, a good friend of mine John uh, with Koa Spear Guns we started kind of reproducing them and it's there's not anything proprietary about it I'm not gonna sit here and say it's this magical spear gun it's just the specs that I like it is the perfect reef spear gun for me down here nice Um, so we started we started making a few of them but that's pretty much my go-to it's 50 inches uh, a rear handle plus and I single wrap everything, um, except for my blue water guns. I I'm real big on that. I think I mentioned it, my, but I do too. Ever since I started doing it years and years ago, it really encourages encourages you to be a better hunter and close that gap. And you're not taking those risky shots. So every shot that you you place is going to count, and you're going to get that fish. So and you lose less fish to ledges, like you have less drama because you can pull them up in time. Yeah. So I see. You know, say a fish does square up on you, right? You shoot them. He's got 28 feet of shooting line before, that you have to pull before it runs into a ledge. So yeah. it kind of screws you on, on that yeah, end as 100%. well. Yeah, it's annoying. And then you're forever chasing, uh, changing the shooting line. I don't know if you're still shooting mono, but, um, man, it's annoying changing it out all the time. Like, because yeah, it's, it's scratched a nightmare. Up and I, sh- I shoot Dyneema, but um, it, lasts pre- it does pretty well. But, yeah, it, it definitely does. Yeah, awesome, buddy. Awesome. So that, Oh, and that little whip, that boat you're getting around in, what, what is that thing? It's, I love it. Oh, yeah. It's called a Ginu, G-H-E-E-N-O-E. Everyone mispronounces and butchers the name when you read it, but it's called a Ginu. Uh, they make them here in Central Florida. It's essentially, if you haven't seen it, it, it's a canoe with the back chopped off, and they put a motor on it. And it, it is one of the baddest little boats on the planet for running around the backcountry. It's an absolute blast. I put a 50 on mine, which it's not actually rated for that, but yeah. um, 
it does like 40 miles an hour. It's like being on a spaceship. It's, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I watched you on that slicker and I was like, damn, he's, he's moving like that thing punches. Cause there's, it's not, there's no beam in it. It's just like, no, just a scoot craft. Like it would just, it's almost a little terrifying at times, yeah. but man, it is fun. And you can get that thing anywhere. I can run in eight inches of water. It's a blast. What about in terms of handling swell or even fetch? Would it, would it, would it does it chop through? All right? yeah, it's, it's, a really light chop it can handle. You just kind of skip over the tops, but after you get any period between it, it's it's not great for it. It's meant to flats fish and yeah, uh, be yeah. in a river. It's mainly for rivers and streams and stuff, but um, I brought it to Key West. Are they sponsoring you yet? No, no. Man, you must be Aaron. selling some of their boats, though, with the amount of people watching I hope so. Channel. 100%. I uh, hope so. Have you talked to the people there? Have you reached out to them? Yeah. Yeah, cool. I know them very well. Oh, I'll, cool. uh, I won't get I won't get too in-depth, but it's – yes. It's a long story. Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, good. Well, I don't want to start anything. So <laughs> <laughs> I already talk about enough controversial shit. Um, all right. Faster round of questions. The Spiro Q and A, and then we'll um, head on out with where people can connect with you and find you and join you. Um, so Spiro Q and A. Could you describe? We'll start off deep and philosophical, Aaron. Could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence? Oh, it brings out my primitive roots. Ooh. Okay. Nice, you did it in one sentence. I like that. What is the what is the single best piece of advice you've ever been given for spearing? This will go back to when I first started. Dive with divers that are more experienced than you. Okay, cool. Who has been the most influential person or people in your spearfishing? You know, I wish I had an answer for that, but so your dad chucked you in the water. I would, I would say, I would say it's my dad because he is one that really showed me the love for the ocean. Um, the free diving thing wasn't really his thing, but he definitely influenced it because he's the one that showed me the ocean and really sparked my love for it. So without that, I would never have, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. What is the spearfishing destination you would most like to go to? I would really like to do the, the halibut thing. And was it Norway? Yeah. That's an extreme one for me because I'm a chicken shit when it comes to cold. I, I'm in, I'm in Key West in wintertime. I'm wearing a five mil. But I would, I would like to face it one time and do it. I think that would be incredible. Have you connected with Daniel Mann? Um, no, I've, I've watched a couple of his videos. Um, I'm familiar with him, but I haven't, I haven't chatted with him. He's, he's a, an excellent storyteller, and yeah. uh, some, of the, some of the stuff he puts out is incredible. And I've seen uh, the couple of his northern trips, which that's kind of yeah. what got the ball rolling on that, and it's just it's unbelievable. I was going to say to you, though, he's a wuss with the cold as well. Uh, a wuss is he really? Is, yeah, yeah, like a wimp. Um, <laughs> so he's got a video there about how he stays warm. Um, you might like to watch that one as well, but if you ever do those trips. I'm going to have to check that out. But I saw um, John Dornalis. He went and did that trip fairly recently. I saw that in Spearing Magazine actually, and they wrote about that trip as well. It seems to be on a lot of Spiro's bucket list these days. Yeah, that's a cool one. I definitely like to check that one off. Cool. Man, I've had a blast chatting, Aaron. Um, I could do this all day, every day. Uh, you're a cool dude and I really love your <laughs> channel, man. I will be watching and subscribing and liking videos forever. So that's Key West Waterman. Um, your Dibs on Bottom adventure on Instagram and yep. your website's dibsonbottom.com as well, is it? Or? Dot com, yeah. There's a bunch of them. You just type in Dibs on Bottom on the it's internet. I don't, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of com- competitors with similar names, so <laughs> I'll pop up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these guys up in um, uh, just north of the border, British Columbia, they've got um, bottom dwellers 
And then someone in northern US has the same name, Bottom Dwellers. And I was just like, how weird is that? Oh, like, wow. Yeah. yeah, that is pretty funny. Yeah, and I think they're a scuba diving group or something he was telling me, but um, they're running a cool thing up there, BC. Anyway, buddy, um, mate, thanks for joining me. I know you've had a long day on your charter and seven days of sparing, you poor bugger. Uh, I, I, I'll just keep sitting in my office and thinking about sparing and talking about it. I'll thank you while I'm out there tomorrow all good thanks brother (laughs) hey guys I hope you enjoyed uh, Key West Waterman Captain Aaron Young aka Dibs on Bottom Adventures Um, if you are loving the show I'd love it if you become a patron listener go over to patreon.com forward slash noobspiro sign up and uh, you can choose one of three levels to support the podcast at. Every little bit keeps fuel in the outboard, my friends. And, uh, hey, you just sharing the show with your mates, um, listening along, commenting, getting involved, um, joining the Noob Spirit community on Facebook, all of these things help uh, keep this show on the road. And um, a massive spon- uh, thanks to today's major sponsors, Neptonics and Adreno. Could not do it without those guys. Hey, next week we're off top 20 spearfishing YouTube channels. I know we've just had Key West, Waterman, Captain Aaron Young. He was he made the list as well. But find out what other 19 made the top 20 spearfishing YouTube channels as voted by the Noob Spirit community on Facebook. More than 4,000 frothers voted up these channels. I had, um, I think there's more than 50 or 60 channels we chat about. Get into it. Uh, James Sacker joins me to, to talk top 20. Thanks for listening, guys. Catch up. Today's episode was an absolute banger, and so is our major sponsor, Adreno. Visit them at adreno.com.au. They have a huge range of equipment, and you can find it at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpirit at checkout. When you shop online, you can save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can even use that code in-store at some of their huge mega stores Australia-wide. Price be guarantee on any Australian spearfishing equipment price. Again, visit them at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpirit. The Noob Spiro Podcast is incredibly proud to be partnering with Neptonics.com. It's solid gear that works, equipment you can rely on. It's the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Neptonics is also the one-stop shop for all your spearfishing gear, particularly in the US. They've got free shipping on all orders over $99 in the US. Furthermore, you can use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off on your entire shopping basket at Neptonics.com. Use the code NoobSpirit, Neptonics.com. Music